welcome to another episode of Just Us, a podcast about mental health in the justice system and how creative expression and purpose can be used to make meaning and cope. Today I have another friend joining. Um, hello. Hello. <laughs> um, I think that you guys are going to really enjoy this episode also. If you listened to episode one, you heard Jeff talk a little bit about crew, mm. and that is who we have today. Um so tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, so my name's Crew from the North, and I am a producer, musician, and business owner. Nice. Okay, are you ready to get into it? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, it's just us. So, okay, we're going to start from the beginning. You're from Brockton. Yep. Okay, so tell me what Brockton means to you. What Brockton means to me. Um, Brockton to me is home first of all, um, and it is the sword, or I should say it's the, the metal that sharpens my sword. It's what makes me who I am. It's what makes my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the diversity here, a lot of the experiences that I have here make me who I am. It makes me crew. So um, that's Brockton to me. I love that. That's the first time I've heard someone use that sword analogy. I like that. When yeah. did you? When did you? Did you like come up with that on your own? Yeah, or? I just I don't know what I'm. I'm I'm here for this, for this. So <laughs> it's like right now, just thought of it. I'm that thinking was about good. it. I'm hyper focusing in my brain, but I'm like, all right, what am I saying? <laughs> no, that was good. I like that. Yeah. Um. So what was what was growing up in Brockton like? Like, what was your upbringing like? Um. I like to think that growing up in Brockton was pretty, pretty smooth for the for the most part. For the most part, you know, um, Brockton has this. Um, a lot of people look at the city of Brockton as like, oh, it's a bad area, mm-hmm. and it can be, it can be. I've personally seen, you know, the worst side of it. Um, but growing up, especially as a child, was pretty smooth because my parents came here, you know, from a, a different country, and they work their hardest to try to provide for me and my sister growing up. So um, <clears throat> it was very easy um, to be a child and to um, understand how to kind of just grow up without being challenged too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but that did change, you know, later down the line when I grew up and became a young adult. So... I'd say the growing up process was pretty was pretty nice. Um, I got to experience a lot of diversity, especially being from Brockton, where everyone's from somewhere. Yep. And I think that a lot of the experiences really shaped me um, and taught me how to survive elsewhere. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's nice to hear the like. It sounds like you had kind of a good balance. Um, like you grew up, and you know things were kind of good as a child, and then as you got older maybe like your eyes were opened a little bit more to like the world around you and kind yeah. of like maybe also what else the city of Brockton can offer or has to offer um, in some other ways. Right, exactly. And um, I know you said that your parents came from another country, so you're Cape Verdean? Yeah, I'm okay. Cape Verdean. So they came here from Cape Verde? Yes. So what does that culture mean to you? Um, being Cape Verdean means a lot to me. You know, um, especially in this time now where we're starting to get a lot more exposure as a country and as a culture. 
Um, I think growing up Cape Verdean, especially in a, in a city like Brockton, where the population is so heavy, um, it really helps me get to dive in on what my culture is and who we are and how we move. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people don't get that experience, you know, Definitely. when they're, they don't really know their family roots or their family doesn't really um, tap into their own heritage or anything like that. And they're really just Americanized. Yep. Um, so I'm very grateful, you know, being Cape Verdean and being able to show that off when I have the opportunity to and to be able to share that with other people in the community as well. Yeah, I think it's special that Brockton has such a strong population um, and like such a strong Cape Verdean population because not only, you know, are you able to kind of learn that culture from, you know, your family, but then you're also surrounded by like people who, you know, have the same like traditions and, and values in a way. But then if you step outside of Brockton um, or like certain areas, some people are like, what's Cape Verdean? And you're like, what do you yeah. mean? Because where I'm from, everybody's <laughs> Cape Verdean. You're like, everybody knows what that means. <laughs> yep. um, so I think that that's, it really is special. I feel like it's something that we often maybe like don't think about or like take for granted until yeah. we kind of step outside and are like, yeah. oh yeah, you know? It's it's so interesting. And it's it's very fun to tell people about when I'm not like in town or in the city or in the state even. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm always proud to, yeah. you know, to let people know where I'm from. Yeah, it's special to have that. I feel like, you know, not everybody has that sense of culture. So that's it's something that like you want to hold on to, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something that you said about how <clears throat> as you got older and became a young adult, things maybe weren't as easy or things might have changed a little bit. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and what you mean by that? Um. Well, in general, you know, growing up, my living situation was pretty smooth. Um, After, you know, my parents divorcing when I was when I was in elementary school and getting through middle school was very tough to me. Um, Not the schooling part, but, you know. uh, Having to accept another parent figure in my life that wasn't, you know, my original parent um so you know being at home with my stepmother wasn't the easiest thing in the beginning yeah um and from there i kind of had to find ways to become independent because uh also growing up in the cape Verdean home you weren't really allowed to be as expressive as you want to be so um certain things that i want to get off and i feel are reasonable for me to to express to my parents or specifically to my father um, at the time wasn't really um, encouraged. Mm -hmm. And it was more so looked at as like, all right, you're trying to be disrespectful or you're trying to question how we parent or anything like that. So it was very hard for me as a teenager trying to get through school and not being attentive at school because I, I wasn't a academic uh, focused person. I was very heavily into um, who I was and what I what my interests were, which was mostly music yep. um, since a child. So trying to get through school and still having to deal with uh, certain issues at home and try to um, fend for myself and be able to, you know, push forward was very hard. So um, ended up getting into me 
not moving out of the house, but me moving into the basement of my home okay. um, and living on my on my own, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, eventually when my father did move into a new house. Um, so I refused to move into the new house and I stayed there um, out of my own peace of mind. Mm-hmm. But after that um, came the hardship of trying to be an adult faster than I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I learned quickly that, you know, there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of things that I have to um, take responsibility for moving forward. So it was a hard time after yeah. that. Absolutely. And so you're, you said you were in middle school when that your parents divorced um, and everything happened? When my parents divorced, I was in fifth grade. Okay. Yeah. That's a tough age just to kind of go through that too because you yeah. probably had a lot of questions. Um, yeah. And then how old were you when your, your dad moved and you decided to stay? Where you were? Um, when my dad moved, I was, at that point, I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. So was, I was already halfway through high school. Okay. Um, and I still had about two years to finish uh, high school. And right. then, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot at a young age. And it was probably confusing a little bit. And, you know, you're kind of trying to navigate and figure out what you want to do. Um, did you feel like your parents weren't going to be accepting of you wanting to do music and what you kind of like really were passionate about? Um, my mother was very supportive of, of everything I did as a child. And I think most most part because she realized that I had known what my interest was and she wanted me to just keep doing what I was doing because I wasn't in a lot of trouble at that moment in time um, or that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but my father wasn't the most supportive when it came to that. He was more traditional when it yeah. when it came to, you know, school and stuff like that. And, you know, you should go to college or right. become a doctor, lawyer, engineer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but I, he's I am really becoming an engineer, just <laughs> yeah. a different type. <laughs> but it's funny because, like, he's really the reason why I got, like, why I found my interest in music early on as a child, you know, oh, wow. I got my first computer when I was like three years old. I was learning how to burn CDs when I was almost four years old. Wow. I was um, playing around on the piano early. He put me in classes when I was about six. So it's like, it's really like him that gave me the opportunity to gain interest. But, you know, as he's seen me develop and focus heavily on it growing up, he was kind of noticing that, well, he his interpretation of that was that it was becoming a distraction from school and yep. you know moving forward with my life. But that was what I wanted to move forward with. Right. So. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. You're like you did this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I know you also said that it was hard for you to maybe express yourself at home um, mm-hmm. or express yourself in the way that you wanted to. Um, was mental health ever? talked about when you were younger um in the household no Mm -hmm. uh besides you know the the very little that you that they tell you in school you know in health classes and stuff um in the household i was never really you know spoken to about mental health or that wasn't a discussion in the household so yeah and that's that's not surprising i think that that's how it is for the majority of people. Um, and I think culture plays a role in that too. Um, 
like I know I'm Portuguese and I feel like Cape Verdean and Portuguese are pretty similar in, in the culture. And, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> working in the mental health field and like trying to explain to my family, like they're like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean see a yeah. therapist? Or like, what do you mean talk about this? They're like, just right. talk to God. Like, that's right. all you need. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's like, but you can do both. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not surprising. And I think that, you know, it was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place, because it's like, I feel like we all kind of know, okay, yeah, that wasn't talked about when we were younger. And then we grow up and we're kind of like figuring it out. And we're like, oh, you know, like life is hard. Right. Um, but I feel like we don't talk about the fact that it's not talked about. Um, and like so many people can relate on that. Like, yeah, we grew up and just didn't talk about it or we learned about it in school. Right. Like, and we really didn't learn that much about it in school either, yeah. you know, when we think about it. Um, so how did you, as you grew up, how did you come to learn about like mental health and what it was? Or like, did you have experience with mental health or did you learn about someone else that you knew of? Um, growing up, I, I was always the, I was always the friend who gave a shoulder to lean on. I was always the friend that gave an ear, um, gave advice. Yep. So I, I noticed, you know, in my teenage years, what it was like to deal with people who, you know, had depression mm -hmm. or had you know a lot of anxiety um paranoia yeah. um and growing up as a teen and young adult in in brockton i also uh know what it is to you know deal with people who have trauma mm -hmm. um trauma that you know you can't really speak about yeah with your average therapist or something mm -hmm. um so i would i think more so in my high school experiences where I started to make friends and start to experience their uh, mental health issues through what they had to tell me and what yeah. they had to discuss with me. Yeah. You brought up a really good point about a lot of people dealing with trauma and maybe not feeling comfortable talking about that trauma. Um, to many people, not alone, like the thought of, oh, going to see like a therapist to talk about this, because it's like, how are they gonna be able to understand or relate, you know, uh, to what I'm going through or what I went through? <clears throat> um, and I think a lot of people in Brockton have probably dealt with, I mean, and not just Brockton, but like just because it's kind of like what we experience, yeah. Um, a lot of trauma and a lot of different things that maybe a, a lot of people don't really think about or see in, in other places mm -hmm. or like towns. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that stuff goes, I don't know if untreated is the right word, um, but like it's not dealt with as good as it probably could be because again, like we don't right. talk about it. Right. And I agree. I think untreated is a good word too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, it, and then it, I think, just becomes like a vicious cycle. And, um, you know, some people do find an outlet and a way to kind of express themselves in some way. But that's not always the case either, you know. And then people end up in maybe worse situations or, you know, yeah. down paths that they maybe didn't think that they were going to end up in the first place. Um, do you think that it was hard 
for you at times to like always be that person that people went to like who did you go to you know what i mean like sometimes being that yeah, person that was kind like, of the issue and that's that's where i i didn't notice um until you know years of development um that not having my own person to talk to was gonna end up you know putting me in a position where i was feeling the same way yeah. or i was going through the same type of um issues mentally yeah. and um always being that person that you know gave advice or gave you know the hugs out and gave mm -hmm. the, the shoulder to lean on um it really just made me more solid inside in a way or i would say emotionally where uh it became harder to kind of just like get through to my feelings sometimes when yep. i'm speaking um and I think in general, as a, as a man, like we all grow to to be, you know, that type of person where we grow up and we can't show, you know, the emotion that we want to show because we have to, we have to survive and we have to pull, we have to move forward and, yep. you know, be the strength that everyone else needs. So yeah, yeah, that's like another, you know, weight that a lot of men carry, um, you know, and is another thing that I think needs to be more normalized is like. You know, men have feelings too, <laughs> and uh, it's okay to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that was a big thing in November. It was like it was uh, what is it? Men's men's I don't know uh, if it was mental health awareness. Yeah, month and like I didn't see too much content or I barely seen any content on yeah. it, and it was it was weird. Um, but I also didn't really know that it was uh, celebrated in the month of November until yeah. like we were almost through with it. I'd say like a week before the month was over. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that. And it's it's interesting that like society, and again, I feel like everything goes back to culture, but like culture I think also plays a big role in like gender norms and gender roles and, you know, that kind of a thing also. So it's like you add a, you know, there's a layer of this wall um, of like mental health not really being spoken about and then add that to like gender roles and gender norms of like, Oh, but and you're also a man and you need to be doing X, Y, and Z and right. like don't show weakness or show right. strength and be, you know, like you said, kind of like the thing that holds it all together. Um, when you're just trying to hold yourself together <laughs> some of the time, like, so I think that that's, it's so important. It's so important. Do you feel like you ever came like what, or I guess when do you feel like you got to a point where you were like, okay, you know, I am kind of in tune with my feelings. Um, but yes, I have this culture and I'm also a man. And like, how do you navigate that now? Do you feel like, or yeah, I guess just where do you feel like you're at now with that identity? Um, and it could also still be like a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just asked like six things at once. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, I think that in my early twenties, is when I first started to actually realize that I had, um, you know, that's when I first started to really experience an anxiety for the first time. I feel like anxiety, I wouldn't say inexistent, but I feel like I didn't know what that feeling was yeah. to have anxiety until my early 20s. Yeah. Um, and from there, I started to realize um, how important it was for me to filter out my feelings somehow mm -hmm. i still didn't get to the point where i was communicating them between peers or family members or yeah. loved ones 
um, I was just in a place where I just used the music to kind of just fuel mm-hmm. whatever fire or whatever I was feeling. Um, and that was somewhat of a, a healthy way for me to output, yep. you know, or I would say that was like a healthy coping mechanism for me. Definitely. Um, but there was still a lot of feelings that were like sheltered and uh, stayed inside because mm-hmm. I didn't feel comfortable speaking about it. Right. Um, I think now, um, having been through deeper holes, you know, darker places, mm-hmm. um, I've realized that it's very important to be able to speak on these things. Uh, but it's also very hard when mm-hmm. people come from different culture or different background or different experiences. Um, and, you know, luckily I have people around me that go through the same things or experience the same things or even experience these things with me yeah. where we can speak about it and, you know, be honest and vocal about how we feel about it instead of trying to act like things are not bothering us. Um, but it's still very hard to um, vocalize or be given the op- even the opportunity to yeah to do that with someone so. yeah absolutely I feel and that's why I you know at the end there I was like you know it could still be a work in progress because I think a lot of times it is and it, it, I think it is for everybody like even me being someone who's you know in the mental health field like I'm still a work in progress when it comes to that too and like my identity with you know things that I go through and how I express that or like who I feel comfortable talking to and or trying to hide it sometimes like putting on a smile and it's like oh no you know I go through shit too whatever um and being able to also I think just acknowledge and be aware of that of like like you said you know sometimes it is still hard um it's important and speaking of like dark places or darker places, um, do you think, or I guess, do you remember if the justice system was ever talked about when you were younger? Um, I think just like mental health, we didn't really speak on the justice system, you know, in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, at school, they give you like a rundown of how the justice system works and they tell you, you know, the justice system is fair mm-hmm. and um, that everyone has an equal opportunity um, in the justice system to fight for, you know, their rights or fight for their freedom or, you know, testify for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you grow up, I feel like we all kind of realize, like, there's certain things that go to one side or the other side, and it's not you know, all as easy as it was told when we were younger. Definitely. Um, and I feel like schools need to do a better, well, I think everyone needs to do a better job, but schools specifically, um, I think sometimes they don't realize the impact that they can have and, like, know your audience, you know? So, like, you might be teaching a group of kids who, have already dealt with the justice system in some aspect or have already learned in their own experience about the justice system. Or you might be teaching a group of kids that have never even heard a word about what the justice system is um, and have that maybe that privilege to not have to 
learn it in their own way at a young age. Right. Um, or you might have a mix. And so I think it's important to, to be more realistic, I think, when it comes to that and like what we're teaching our kids in school and, um, you know, and being realistic about that. Do you remember outside of school, maybe when your first experience was like learning, maybe like, oh, so maybe what they're teaching us in school is not exactly what's go really going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... I didn't have too much experience with the justice system until um, I was like a young teen, um, probably my last year of middle school, going into freshman year, um, where I was, you know, we're at the age where we're just kind of just playing recklessly with, mm -hmm. with, with, with our friends and, yep. you know, when we're, you know, out and about and we're just doing like very risky things as yeah. kids and, you know... You do. You end up running into um, a police officer or someone who who catches you or um, who sees you or even from my experience, like not doing anything and just still being questioned and harassed yeah. um, by an officer at a young age, just because you know we're on a certain street or we're on yep. or around certain people or they notice that we're related to certain people. Yep. Um, so I think early on, I kind of seen the shift in, can I really trust an officer? Um, yeah. To, you know, keep me safe and, and protect me, or at least, you know, be a role model to me and, and show me the way. Um, so I'd say around like middle school, like late middle school to early high school is when I started to see that shift. Yeah. And it's such a, it's like that question, and again, that not everybody has, you know, uh, and due to like privilege in some capacity of not having, not having to one day question like, can I trust the police? Are they really here to help me? You know, like, yeah. um, or not have the experience, like you said, of like not doing anything, but maybe just because who you're related to or who they, you know, the street you're on or what you look like and different things like that. Um, and again, that's all stuff that like, they just really don't talk about. Right. Um, or even how to deal with the police. Like they don't say anything else aside from like respect the police or right. whatever they say. Right. I don't and even remember. I feel like we lose a lot of, we lose a lot of, uh, of leverage as citizens because of that, because we don't know the laws. We don't, we don't get taught our rights yep. early on and, we get taken advantage of, especially in communities like this, where, you know, they'll use that uh, lack of knowledge mm -hmm. um, to uh, take advantage of the situation and, and put you in an even worse situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's true. We really don't learn about, like, the law or our rights or anything like that. I feel like the first time even I really, like, and again, I've, I... I acknowledge that I think this is like a privilege in some capacity that I um, didn't learn it until I like saw on TV, I think like they were talking about whatever, like, or like you have the right to remain <laughs> like whatever, like, you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm like, what is that? Like, yeah. um, but again, it, it really is. It's something that needs to be taught early on, um, especially when there's that like disconnect of what you're learning in school and then what you're seeing outside of school. Right. Um, I'm glad you said that about the TV because it's, it's one of those things where like I grew up, obviously we grew up watching police shows 
and um we grew up watching police shows <laughs> and um like we see officers doing their job on the shows like they're stopping specific crimes and they're they're for the most part taking care of it the the best way possible on TV yep um and then you get in, you you witness uh, you witness those same situations in real life and you see that it's not always that simple and it's not always that clean or mm-hmm. or they're not always being that honest or that um protector that was supposed to be having in the community yeah. absolutely yeah and it's such like a weird i think i feel like brockton especially um i don't know it just it actually like boggles my mind how there isn't more discussion in school well i guess actually i shouldn't say that but well no because you went to school in brockton yeah right so i didn't go to school in brockton until high school so um but it sounds like it wasn't really talked about that much even in like elementary middle yeah i think you know there was a lot more programs at least in the times there was a lot more programs before my time or before our time i should say Mm -hmm. um where they did have you know law enforcement and and stuff involved in the education system like yeah. the dare program and all that stuff right. like when we first started hitting like that preteen age or that even like that age where like 9 10 11 the dare program was kind of just like fading out yep. so we didn't really get to experience that for us That's and i feel true. like the lack of that type of education or that type of experience now is what makes the newer generations move so much more recklessly mm-hmm. in the community because they don't have the guidance. Yeah. And that goes as far as like even the generations before being able to replicate that for them because yep. we didn't have that as well. Yeah. And I remember when we went or when I went to Brockton High, um, you know, and uh, God, I don't even know what it is now. I, I feel like it's not the same, but um, or maybe worse. I'm not sure. But um, they we had Brockton like school police mm-hmm. and <clears throat> Like now that I can like look back and reflect on that, I feel like it's like by that point in high school, it's too late. So like there's already people on that high school now that are afraid of police for multiple reasons or don't trust them and whatever else. So it's like, cool, we have the school police officer here. Number one in my head, I'm like, I don't even know. Like, what do you guys do? Like, what are you doing? Or why isn't that talked about more maybe? Or like, like how they talk about like community policing and like having police that live in the community mm-hmm. and go out into the community right. um, so they can kind of build that trust or attempt to. But by that point, it was already almost too late. Like I think in junior high um, and even earlier, you know, I don't know. I don't know, I guess, what age is appropriate, but it needs to be talked about a little more. So then you're not going to I high agree. school and you already have a you already have a bad. um like you already have a certain view of cops and then you go to school and there's one at your school every day and you're like probably on edge a little bit, you know? Um, And Brockton High was very diverse, so I'm sure there was a mix of people and people's opinions on the school police and like whatever. But um, it's just, it's it's interesting and I never really thought about it when I was in school. Yeah. And now that I can like look back, I'm like, huh, there's so much more we probably could have done. Yeah, a lot more. I think a lot more, especially for the generations now. For us, I notice it now. And when I'm like, I look back and I was like, I wish I had this. I wish they had done this for us. But um, I look at the newer generations now and I'm just like, I really wish they had, yeah. you know, they would bring back certain programs or, or do more, yep. you know, 
to um, gain trust and show that they can they can um, cooperate mm-hmm. uh, with the justice system. But that also includes um, that also includes showing that in the community, though, not just in school, because we can go to school and learn, you know, how to communicate with an officer or how to work with the justice system. But then we go back home and then we see our older cousin Mm -hmm. going through something with an officer and it's not the best experience for us to to witness. And then everything that we learn is kind of just questioned. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like your views on the justice system have kind of like evolved and changed from when you were you were younger? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, fortunately, in in Brockton. Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of the issues that we see on social media that happen in other states and yeah. stuff like that, um, which I'm, I'm always grateful for, you know, when these things happen and get, you know, super, super uh, publicized on the media. Mm-hmm. But um, there is a lot that um, I do see and yeah. it's, you know, it makes me think sometimes about definitely where we could be. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I feel like Brockton, it's funny because I feel like when you watch the news, you see Brockton and like, oh, this happened in Brockton and this happened in Brockton. And then people who don't know Brockton are like, oh my God, Brockton's such a dangerous or bad place. And it's like, you know yeah. nothing about Brockton, like, you know. No, but it's so crazy because we we take that narrative and we we become boastful about it too sometimes. You know? Yes. Like you, even now you see like, they'll make like a list on like social media, like the most dangerous places in Massachusetts. Yep. And then you want Brockton to be number one so bad, but yeah. you don't obviously, yep. you know, and you just see that in the community in a certain demographic, obviously they're, yep. they're being boastful about that. But that also goes into like media and yes. exposing certain narratives and like music and stuff like that. Too. Yeah. So it's, it's wild. Yeah. It really is. Um, speaking of music, I know you, so you said you started learning about music and like playing the piano and stuff like that at a really young age. So when did you first, I guess, when did you first really get into music and what led you there? Would you say? Um, my interest in music was there since a child. Like I said, you know, with my dad, he was always playing music in the house. He was always, you know burning CDs and stuff like that for other people. So he had like a variety of music, uh, a wide variety of music. And I was ex- I was able to experience that young and enjoy that as a child. And, you know, growing up and le- uh, learning to play the piano mm-hmm. um, for a short amount of time. It didn't last super long. It's like a year and a half. But um, enough for me to have the interest in playing on a daily basis and messing around and exploring certain programs on the computer. Um, as far as like getting into production, when I was nine, my uncle was already producing and kind of recording himself at home, but oh, wow. um, he was making, uh, you know, Zoop music, mm-hmm. K-Ready and Zoop music. So um, I first learned how to produce a Zoop beat, you know, or, you know, a lot of people say Posada. Mm-hmm. So I so learned that was that the first, first. Yeah, that was the wow. first type of beat I learned how to make on a program. So, um, that's dope. I took that, and I kind of just ran with it through 
middle school. And then I learned, you know, the art of sampling and getting deeper into like R&B, hip hop and looking up to, you know, Kanye West, Timbaland, Jay Dilla and just wanting to be like them. Yeah. And early on from a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. I I don't think I ever woke up even as a child and thought I wanted to be something else, even in school. Yep. Even in school, teachers will ask you like, oh, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, it was a musician. Yep. So um, unfortunately, I didn't get that type of support from my parents mm-hmm. um, where they pushed me to, to go further with that. But I did it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I carried that through my teenage years into high school and became known for that in high school and got to the point where I am where I am now yeah you know but it took a lot of it took a lot of doing for myself and kind of just like proving specifically I think I moved with a lot of emotion towards my father because he didn't support me the way I thought and I believed in myself so much back then yeah um but now, you know, we're in a place where he sees what's going on and yeah. he's, he's supportive of what I'm doing. So that's good. Yeah. Do you feel like music has or your work with music affects your mental health in a positive or negative way? Um, I think the my passion for music mm-hmm. helps me with my mental health. Mm-hmm. The fact that I am a musician trying to make it in a big industry or even just trying to make a living, Mm -hmm. it becomes detrimental to my passion Mm -hmm. because it can kill your passion when when you're not getting a certain level of output, especially when you're trying to chase a career. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy to make music as a hobby. But when you have the pressure of the world and you're trying to provide for yourself and, yeah. and you know do bigger and better it gets a little bit draining yeah and when other things add to you know the state of your your mind or your emotions it becomes harder to create mm-hmm. which can make it even harder to uh use music as a coping mechanism because everything's distracting you yeah so i think i look at it as like a blessing and a curse yeah because it's so hard to communicate that to, you know, people that watch you do it every day. They don't understand how important it is for you to create and they don't understand how much it affects you when you can't seem to create. Yeah, and like find that motivation. Yeah. Yeah, that's true actually. And I don't know if I ever really thought about it like that until I asked you the question and I start I heard you starting to answer it and then I kind of had a feeling that you were going to go that route yeah because as much as it can be used as a coping mechanism and to express yourself at the same time it can be really stressful right. and draining like you said yeah. so then that also puts like takes a toll on your mental health so um it's kind of like a double-edged sword um or like on the flip side it's almost like a cycle that then you again kind of like you have all this buildup or, you know, anxiety, feelings, stress, whatever. And then you, like you said earlier, you kind of put that into the music. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it, a lot of times it's like that. A lot of times it's like you have that buildup of emotions and, and maybe you're in a block creatively. You can't create because of everything going on. Mm-hmm. 
And then you get to a certain point where like you don't know how you're going to feel mentally. And then you have a breakthrough creatively somehow, yeah. you know, and then somehow it just all I wouldn't say all flushes, but a lot of it gets filtered through yeah. just by that one way of coping. And then eventually it just cycles back again. It's yeah. weird. It's <laughs> weird. But it's interesting because um, statistically, like 70 percent of uh, independent musicians mm-hmm. actually struggle with like mental health um, issues. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's illnesses. Yep. Probably stati- statistically, I wouldn't say that they're illnesses. I don't think that everyone statistically is treated or diagnosed. Right. But poor mental health is also mm-hmm. a mental health issue. So Interesting. Yeah. So, like, even if it's, like, a certain level of, like, depression or anxiety or whatever yeah. it might be. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But that it, it makes sense. And I actually was telling somebody earlier today how, like, Sometimes I view mental illness or just, you know, uh, we'll just use mental illness for lack of a better term. In like, a be- it's like, a, how do I want to word this? As a beautiful thing sometimes, because it's like what your mind can do is so fascinating. Yeah. And like some of the most brilliant or most like artistically talented people yeah. struggled with mental health. Right, right. Um. And it's so interesting. But, like, right. we forget about that because we, we just think, like, oh, like, ever, they're crazy or whatever. And it's, like, well, well, no. Like, maybe let's not use that term or, like, let's yeah. try to take that term away from it because there's so much else going on. Right. You know? And I think, I think what makes that even easier to understand is that I'd say, like, 95% of, like, the greatest artists – that ever live or that still live today yeah. have been through a lot yeah. growing up and they've they've had to use um you know music as a coping mechanism mm-hmm. somehow sometime in their life and that's what kind of just made them flourish is the fact that they can express that openly and be able to provide for themselves Absolutely. and we consume it because we hear these little things in their music and we relate to it you know yeah but we also tend to ignore a lot of the signs, especially, I think, especially in like rock and hip hop music, mm-hmm. we tend to ignore a lot of the signs that someone is going through something. Yep. Our favorite artists may be going through, you know, a mental breakdown. Yep. But we're so addicted to receiving more content from them because it's helping us go through a mental breakdown right. because they feel what we're feeling. Yep. But we don't think that in the moment. Right, like we're bumping during our struggle to their struggle, basically. Yeah. Like we're in our room, like <laughs> bumping to their struggle because yeah. we're struggling, and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> like, and I can, I could probably guarantee that those people also did not have a space to talk about mental health growing up, right. and they found music, and you know, they right. that's kind of what they did. Yeah. That's interesting. Um. Who do you think would be your most notable artist that you've worked with so far? Uh, most notable? Just in general that I've worked with or just like production-wise or anything? Because um, I've worked with different artists in different settings, different different styles of like, Okay. you know, I've engineered certain artists, I've produced for certain artists. I've, so maybe in general then? Um, biggest or most notable? 
most notable? I mean, I've I've dealt with like French Montana back in his early mm-hmm. like come up. Mm-hmm. I've engineered him. I've produced for Babyface Ray, who's a big artist mm-hmm. now. Yep. Um, I've been in studios with A Boogie. Yep. Um, but I I wouldn't know I wouldn't know who to say is the most notable out of out of those. Yeah. Um, but I've I've been around and worked with some big names. It's just. Yeah. I never really think about that type of question to be yeah. honest. <laughs> well, was there ever a moment where you were like, oh, like I'm really here right now or I, you know, like I am capable or like I'm I'm doing this? I think I think most of that feeling came from, you know, my personal endeavors. I wouldn't say personal, but working with someone like D the Flyers, mm-hmm. you know, where we we made a lot of big moves coming from where we come from which is here Mm -hmm. we've done a lot here that that shifted the way that the the music scene is kind of going now yeah um in addition to others you know like cousin stills and everyone who came before Mm -hmm. but i think the things that me and him have done together gave me those feelings that you're saying nice because those were moments that i i like i mentioned earlier i got to prove to myself Mm -hmm. and i got to prove to someone like my father or, you know, other people who may have doubted, you know, this long road that I've been taking. um, We got to show everyone that it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I get a lot of the the strength and motivation from the fact that I've already done something large scale Mm -hmm. without having to tap into another person who's already have it, like has a platform. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like you have a favorite artist that you've worked with or like someone that you really enjoy working with, which I mean, in a way it sounds like D the flyest might be one of those people, but yeah, of course. I mean, because we also share a lot of the same struggles Mm -hmm. we share working with him. is like, it's like therapy for both of us. Yeah. We both get to put, we both get to share how we're feeling before we work Mm -hmm. and we both get to put those emotions into the work. Yeah. So, um, that's dope. He is one of he is one of my favorite, but I'm not sure who is my like. These are things that I don't think about. Yeah. Honestly. And um, there's a lot of different. I wouldn't say a lot, but there's a few different artists that I like. I prefer to work with for certain reasons. Right. Right. So for D, it would be that. Mm-hmm. For someone like Quez, who is a who is an artist that's coming up right now out of um, out of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. His work ethic is is crazy, and I like the way that it keeps me going. Yeah. Um, and then you know you have like people like uh, Dale Thompson, mm-hmm. who who like creatively has so much going on in his mind, and he's always thinking of these ideas and how can we translate this idea into like a sonic version. Yeah. And it challenges me because mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I'm trying to get the same output as you're envisioning in your head onto this this digital audio workstation. Right. So it's like, there's a lot of different people I prefer to work with for different reasons. I don't think I have an absolute favorite, though. Yeah. It's nice, though, to kind of have, like, a variety and be able to... I'm sure that continues to challenge you in right. itself. Right. When did you... So when did you kind of switch from... Or not switch, but when did you add, like, making your own music in there as well? Because you have... Obviously, you've been producing for a while. Yeah. You know, you do a few different things. But then you also have some of your own tracks. Yeah. Um, 
it's funny because i i've always like dabbled mm-hmm. like on the mic just because i have it like i've right. always just done things with like my friends um especially down when we were in the, the cellar still in the basement mm-hmm. um i used to mess around a lot and kind of just reference things for people like try this and do that that's where i first got the taste of like actually like recording myself like for real for real because i did when i was a child but you know when you're a kid you don't know what you're doing yeah um and one day i just one day i just made a a record early in the morning it was like i pulled an all-nighter i was up at like 6 a.m wow and i was about to go to um to work i was working part-time at the time um i was about to go to work and i just pulled this reference out of out of my ass basically and i mumbled half of it but then i thought about it i was like this sounds kind of good so i just showed it to d for fun one day and he was like yo i like this i'm about to put a verse on it right now i'm like it's not even like done i don't even have half the words he was like but still i like it i'm about to put a verse on it is this one time yeah wow so he records on it and he puts his verse and i'm like damn he did a verse now i gotta finish it right so I finish it, and then I'm still thinking, like, we just did it for shits and giggles. And then one day we play it, like, the final version, and people are, like, in the studio just listening, and they're just like, this is good. And he's like, yeah, we're going to drop it on this day. <laughs> You're like, wait, <laughs> I'm what? I'm like, what? <laughs> we're dropping what? Oh, and, my God. Um, yeah, we ended up dropping one time, and that was kind of, like, the start to, like, where everyone was just like, um, you should continue to make your own music. Mm-hmm. But I think the first time i thought about really making music was when i was just experimenting rapping like a few months before that yep oh, i'd say like a year before that mm-hmm. uh before one of my cousins passed um i did a cypher fab was doing the the deeper the music ciphers mm-hmm. and i went as like a spectator but i ended up just doing something oh no shit yeah and then after that uh the other fab from brock the mag yep. uh invited me to do a cypher for his platform mm-hmm. And then my cousin at the time was like, oh, you should just keep rapping. Like, you're doing your thing right now. You should keep rapping. He ended up passing that summer. Wow. But it just stuck with me after that. And I was like, maybe I should try to do my own music. So I just kept experimenting until I got to the point where, like, one time dropped. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, all right, they want music. So let me just give it to them mm-hmm. as a, like, I'm going to give it to them when I'm comfortable. Yep. You know? Yep. It's just been that way since. Wow. Yeah. That's a good story. <laughs> do you feel like you enjoy making your own music more or do you feel like you enjoy producing and engineering for others more? Um, I like producing. Okay. I like producing. That's like my first love. Yep. I love producing. But I'm also very into creating. Like I'm very into like the creating process. So like when I'm engineering... I like to coach an artist through a record mm-hmm. because sometimes they can't hear something that you hear yeah. or that the people in the room hear. And obviously they might not communicate it most of the time. So I like to take that, that step in, coach them through it and be suggestive yep. um, throughout the whole process and, and create something good yeah. or even challenge them in a way. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I have people try things that they don't really think that, will sound good but when we end up doing it they it comes right. out really good so I, I like that feeling where i can push someone past their yeah. mental 
boundaries. I think that's probably has to be like one of the most satisfying feelings is like being a part of, but watching a project kind of like come to life yeah. and then like hearing the final thing and being yeah. like, wow. I, I love uh, executive producing like projects. Yeah. I wish I could do more of it, but um, there's not too many artists that I can really sit down with for, for too long. Yeah. You know, I, there has to be like the right person. Yep. So I want to make sure that we talk about Cellar Boys because we're both wearing Cellar Boys merch. Right. <laughs> so Cellar Boys. <laughs> tell me kind of like what this idea is and just how it came about. Okay. So um, before Cellar Boys became like a brand, um, I told you guys that uh, – in my teenage years, I had to kind of just move down to the basement yep. and just kind of be on my own. Um, and I created, I had two rooms in the basement. At first it was one. I had two rooms, but at first it was one room and it was just my bed. And then like my whole setup on one side of the room and then yep. like a closet. And Every time my friends would come through, we would just be chilling in my room. They'd be sitting on my bed. I'd be sitting at, like, the station. And we'd just be, like, creating. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is back when I was, like, messing with, like, Mars, uh, Jeff, mm -hmm. my boy uh, Silas, um, Adam Cooper. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have certain people come through, like, G.O.D. from Boston, mm -hmm. Avenue. Um, and from there, we just created, like, kind of like a camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had got, like, another producer, uh, Lucas Loyalty, um, and we just kind of just was in there all the time, just going back and forth, like, shifting off and just creating all times. Uh, it was not a good situation at the time because, like, since I was in the basement, I didn't always have the luxury of having heat, too. Mm. So we used to struggle down there, and early in my adulthood, like, we were broke. So we would share a lot of meals. Mm -hmm. We would be down there and they would stay and then we would all be sleeping in like random places. Yep. Like they're sleeping on the bed. I'm sleeping in a chair or someone's sleeping in closet with like a blanket. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? It was just like, it was so bad. And then eventually we got to the point where like I had two rooms, studio, my own room. And then the, stu the studio, we started calling the cellar. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, we just started calling each other cellar boys because we was always in there. Yeah. And just you know, rocking out every day, whether it was, like, music-wise or just, like, creatively in other ways. And it just got to a point where I was, like, you know, I'm going to use that as a branding point. Yeah. And um, I started the Seller Studio. And then from there, I was, like, we're going to do the Seller Publishing Company and then the Seller Boys brand. So yeah. That's how we got to this point. That's it wasn't. Dope. It was never really, like, a thing where I just was, like, I'm going to start a clothing brand. And right. Gonna, it was more so just based on... Like a culture, yeah, and it kind of just happened. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the best when it happens that way. Um, so I guess what can we expect from Crew from the North, but also Cellar Boys moving forward? Um, for me, you can expect a lot more production. Um, I've been very heavily focused on production this year. Um, tr trying to get myself in a public a publishing situation. Mm -hmm. Um. Music-wise, I've been getting hassled in public or in gyms, and people have been telling me to release more music. So I definitely yeah. got something for for everyone, like the beginning of the year of 23. Nice. Um, 
But Cellar Boys, I'm just trying to, you know, make everyone feel included and make everyone understand like what the vision is. Yep. And that's to push, you know, creativity to a global to a global level. And yep. um eventually I want to build the brand big enough to be able to um donate back to certain, you know, causes and in, in especially to certain communities where there needs to be more uh programs for like creatives and yep. visual artists and musicians and stuff like that. Especially back here back home Absolutely. in Brockton. Um, you know, some of the things that happen at the schools with like the budgeting and stuff like that. Eventually yep. that's what I want to be able to like contribute to. So awesome. um just working on doing bigger and better. Good. So just be on the lookout. Um, yes. If you see something you like, please do support. Yes, absolutely. Get a piece and keep spreading the word. Definitely. Tell the listeners where they can find you and and Seller Boys. Um, so you can find me on all platforms uh, at Crew from the North. That's C R U U from the North. All all proper. Um, that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can find me on all streaming platforms at the same name. Um, and you can find Seller Boys on Facebook and Instagram at Seller Boys Global uh, and com. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I want to thank you. I think this was... This was really good. I learned so much about you. And yeah. I hope that everyone else, you know, I hope everyone listening will learn something as well. Um, I think it was really fascinating to hear kind of like how you started and then where you are now and how you're just kind of continuing to grow the brand and like you as an individual um, and as a producer and and all of the things. So um, I'm very excited. I'm excited for everyone to hear this. And thank you for yeah, being thank, vulnerable. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I really like what's going on here. And I, I I was a little nervous about coming here and speaking on certain parts of my life. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm glad I, I came and we, we could share this experience. Good, good. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable and, you know, kind of letting the people in a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that everyone's really going to enjoy this. So I'm excited. Um. That's about it. So like, comment, subscribe, subscribe. do all the things. Smash that like button. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and share, 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 follow. Um, you know, go follow Crew from the North and Seller Boys Global. Please. And um, look out for the amazing merch that's going to be happening and all of the You things. see it? Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, thanks, guys. See ya. <laughs>